I'm just terrified that Drew and I are doing a mental game. <laughs> I was literally what I, literally what I was about to say. Like this is the first time I've been asked to give my mental advice. People are normally like, "What do you do?" All right, I'm going to do the exact opposite of that. <laughs> And welcome back to another Park Train. I am Evan Singer. We got Matt Cermak here. What's going What's on, up, my man? man? That was a great episode we just had, huh? It really was. Guys, this was the first time we did a Mental Game Roundtable format with some pretty well-known guys, fellow golf podcasters, former pros, um, Colt Nost and Drew Stoltz, hosts of the Golf Subpar podcast. A great podcast if you haven't checked it out. Um, but we thought it'd be fun to try and do a mental game podcast with a couple people you know and that you follow. And so I thought this episode was great. Before we get to that, in case you're new, let's tell you a little bit about what the par train's all about. First of all, oh, thanks yeah. for thanks for hopping on, hopping aboard. When you're on the par train, golf is the hardest game in the world feels easy. Well, our mission is to understand why that is so we can make other hard stuff seem easy and help you get better on and off the course. We feature interviews with PGA Tour pros, best-selling authors, CEOs, mental coaches, and more. So you'll get the motivation to keep chugging and the tools to enjoy the ride, what it's all about. So quick word from our friends at Roback. Guys, they keep killing it. If you haven't purchased a Roback Q-Zip polo performance t-shirt, we got 15% off for you. Hit the link in the show notes. You can get 15% off your first order. Guys, they just donated 10 grand to Texas for all the um, challenges they're going through through the winter storm. They're always giving back. They're the best people. And I've never met anyone that didn't buy a second piece of gear. I don't think, Sir, have you ever known someone that bought Roback and didn't buy another thing? No, it's Roback. funny. We talk, guys, go to our show notes to get the uh, our unique link. I had a my buddy Jared texted me yesterday. He's like, where's this link? I've got a bunch of stuff in my cart. You know, like, yeah. to your point, like, he's like, I, I, I want to make a good, just know because everything's so consistent and just wears well funny enough too have you know we had uh president george w bush with a patriot mask on inauguration day something was on tv and there was a guy at the capitol looked like an aide of some sort wearing the patriot mask behind <laughs> one of the senators at a hearing and it's like there it is you know, yeah. like, it's, it's cool you know yeah they're growing like crazy uh we're excited to be a small part of that um, but I believe their hoodies, their first run of hoodies are going to be restocking soon. So keep checking back to the site. They just stocked their best-selling polos. Those are restocked. So hit the link in the bio, get yourself some gear. You deserve it. Um, and get 15% off. So our interview with Drew and Colt was really fun. I think it was a great combination of learnings they've gotten from interviewing a bunch of tour pros being on tour themselves. Um, and also like their own games. Usually they're interviewing yeah. other pros. We got to talk to them about their games. And uh, I think a lot of, I don't know your main takeaway, Matt, but a lot of it for me was play a little bit smarter and play, you know, using your own personality, play like you don't try and be anyone else play and learn your tendencies and double down on those. Yeah. I, what, these two guys, I mean, I don't know if anybody understands professional golf better than these two right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, from their playing days and then every week they're sitting down with a top player in the world or former player, best player in the world from the previous decade. So really cool to get insight there on, on the tour time of inside the ropes. But 
you know what I took away out of it? I think, you know, from a mental game perspective is have fun, but slow down. Yeah. Right. That's you a know, good way to put it. You know, like be out there and, and talk and have some beers and play music. But, you know, if when the heat is on, quote unquote, or when the pressure is on, slow down. Right. And that's something I think, you know, that they learned from their playing days. And, uh, you know, and, and that's big for everybody. Take an extra deep breath. Right. Like, just you know because things speed up when yeah you got that putt for you know when you're playing for 50 bucks on that last call right yeah totally yeah well guys definitely stay to the end we've got a little exclusive rapid fire that's only on our youtube channel we're going to start to throw some of these interviews and build up a youtube channel so definitely subscribe check us out on youtube as well as apple podcasts give us a review follow us on the socials at the par train do all the things Guys, we're going to have our new hats coming out in early April, so look out for that. And thanks, as always, for tuning in. And, guys, hey, Serm, let me ask it to you this time. Serm, don't forget, what are we going to do? Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride, baby. All right, guys, take care. And we're back with Colton Drew from Golf Subpar Podcast. What's going on, boys? Happy to have you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thrilled to be here. Looking forward to it, boys. Before we dive into your games, uh, we got to give ourselves a little pat on the back. These hats that I'm wearing right here, there's been a little bit of buzz about them. And, you know, I figured, you know, you guys are golf subpar. We're par train. We know you're trying to live under par, but we're kind of cousins. So we wanted to know, like, do we have the subpar stamp of approval? See the under the bill design here? Oh, wow. I wanted to oh, get yeah. your thoughts. Are you guys only allowed to endorse subpar branding these days? No, that's a very nice hat. I like the rope too. Okay. Well, if you guys yeah, like it, boat hat. Yeah, I like it. Good logo too. If you guys like it, we're happy to send you something. We just wanted to check. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, man. So I told you guys a little bit before we started recording a little bit of context on the mental game. Um, before we dive into that, we wanted to get your take on. You know, normally we do it with, we've done it from plus three handicaps to 12 handicaps. We've never done it um, with fellow podcasters, former professionals like you guys. So wanted to get your take on what we should call this. Do you think we should call it like is celebrity mental game round table where are you guys technically celebrities? Like, what should we call this? First off, I'm just terrified that Drew and I are doing a mental game. <laughs> I was literally what I, literally what I was about to say. Like this is the first time I've been asked to give my mental advice. People are normally like, "What do you do?" All right, I'm going to do the exact opposite of that. So well, that's the this point. This is flattering. This is flattering. Maybe this is why they quit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's a good one for it. I mean, that's good. I might set the stage here for us. Yeah. So, so, Drew, for our listeners, give some people some context on your game. I think a lot of us know, you know, you, you played on many tours and you played your whole life, but talk about, you know, kind of the history of your game and kind of maybe the state of your game today. Yeah. History of my game. You wanted me to go back to like, just grow, like I'll give you kind of like a quick resume, I guess, or whatever, how I got started. I got started playing the game at about 11, 12. That's when I really started to get into it. So I guess that's fairly late by, to, by today's standards. Um, grew up in Colorado. So Wintertime, you really didn't even have the option to play golf. So I played other sports kind of throughout high school, but golf became my my love, I guess, at the, in about seventh grade. Played up there, went to high school. Uh, I won the Colorado State High School championship my senior year. Um, ended up 
going to TCU to play golf in college, went down there. Uh, that's where I met Colt for the first time. It was Colt just down the road at SMU. So I played there, had a pretty, I would say, mediocre college career. I won one time in college, but it was nothing special. Um, and I turned pro, uh, played basically everywhere you can play from the lowest rent mini tours to one event on the PGA Tour. I mean, I played the Jickies all over the place. I've had my... Sure. My final year playing was on the web.com and I wasn't getting a lot of starts. I was having to Monday qualify a whole lot and just kind of ran my head into the wall. By the end, I got really fed up with playing some pretty good golf, not getting a lot of shots. And when I was playing in the events, wasn't playing very well. So I just kind of put a hard stop on myself at age 30. I said, if I don't have a tour card by then, I'm out of here. And that's pretty much what I did. That's, that's good that you did. A, I mean, it's tough to do a hard stop. There's some guys that are out there 17, 18 years, right? Yeah, that was my big fear was like, I, I remember being 24 and 25 playing wherever I was playing and seeing the 35, 36. I was like, dude, what is this guy doing? What are you thinking? Like, if it hasn't happened by 35, like you ain't going to go out and all of a sudden catch, like find it and start beating guys that are 22 and on the PJ. You know what I mean? So I was right. like, yeah. I always saw those guys as like a cautionary tale. I was like, I don't want to be that. I will never be that. I won't allow myself to. And so 30 was my, my stop. I said, look, that's a, you gave yeah. me plenty of time and I had my chances and I, I think I could have, you know, I could have gotten out there, but um, I didn't do it during the right times. And I'm totally at peace with that. So Drew, you're the amateur player now. How's your game? Colt, you think it's, you think it's impressive too? I want to, we want to get your take here. Uh, he's actually been playing pretty good every time I play with him. He doesn't play a ton. He's uh he's somehow very busy. Um, a lot busier than I am, apparently, but because uh, I still play quite a bit. But yeah, every time I play with him, the game's pretty good. Thank you, Cole. That's the nicest thing. <laughs> nicest thing you've ever said to me. Uh, right time. We got fifty minutes. I'll bury. Yeah, you got. You'll make up for that. Um, yeah, I have the last year or so. I would say I've played a lot less. I got a little baby girl now. Uh, Colt and I, you know, we we have the the podcast and the radio going on. I got a couple other things that I do. So it's just. It's harder now. I underestimated how much time a young child takes because like not only you, but like, I, hey, wife, see you later. I'm going to be gone for five, five and a half right. hours. Like that's a tough ask sometimes. So it's just, right. it's a little harder to get out, but I have my days. I feel like I'm kind of feast or famine. Some days I feel like I never left the game and some days I'm like, I may never play again. I'm hitting <laughs> it like complete shit. So. And so just to give the listeners context, uh, does Colt give Drew shots or do you guys play straight up? I, I used to, but not anymore. I think we play straight up. I mean, I type in every score I shoot, and uh, my game has been trending the wrong way with no practice and working as much as I have been. Um, yeah. I'm currently like a plus 2.5 index. So, yeah, I'm not – there's not many people um, at Drew's ability that I'm giving strokes to. That's, that's for sure. Got it. So, Drew, help us go back for a second. So you said that – you were playing pretty well when you were playing pro and yet when you got into an event, you didn't play as well. Yeah. Right. Talk about the difference between when you were playing well versus when the spotlight went on and the things that you worked through. Maybe, you know, now that you're looking back, you might've had some clarity that maybe you didn't have back then. Yeah. It's a good question. I've been asked this before. It's like, I would come home and play with friends or I'd go to a mini tour event and I play, I play really, really well. And I was, I was shooting a lot of low scores. And then, you know, I was having success on the mini tours, which you still, you have to shoot really, really low on those events, right? Um, they're easy, go, easier golf courses, but you got to shoot some numbers. And all of a sudden I'd be like, okay, here's Q school or boom, I'd get a corn fairy start or whatever it might be, something that mattered more. 
And looking back on it now, I feel like my whole mindset changed. Like when I was playing on mini tours or places I was comfortable, right? Playing at home, I felt just like at ease. Like I'm playing with Colt at home. Like he and I are yucking it up. We're joking. We're having a good time. Uh, things like that. And that's more my personality on the golf course. And I feel like that's where I play my best is when I'm enjoying myself, having a good time. And then it's kind of like, okay, we got a shot here. Let's lock in for 15, 20 seconds, whatever it is. And then that's over. And like, all right, now we're back to kind of talking. And when I get into a bigger tournament, it was more like, all right, dude, this matters. Like no more talking, no more having a good mm -hmm. time. Like this shit really matter. And I changed like the whole way I went about my business. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, Q school, caddy, don't talk to me. No more joking, dude. This is Q school. Like we got to really tighten up. And I feel like looking back on it, and I kind of started to notice that towards the, the later part of me playing golf. The hard part is like, all right, when Colt and I go out to Whisper Rock and play, like we're going to bullshit the entire time. Like that's just what it is, right? That's our both of our personalities. If you get in Q school and I got two other dudes that I don't know and I'm buddies with, more likely than not, they're pissing down their leg too. You know what I mean? They're not trying to like, it, it takes two to tango type of a deal, right? So unless you got your caddy out there and he's willing to do it, which I tried to do some of that towards the later part when I started to recognize it, it's kind of like, you, you know, you, you can't force that on other people. So I just feel like in hindsight, I really, my demeanor, my attitude and all the things like that uh, changed in terms of like once, when I started to view an event as being more important, you know what I mean? And that's yeah. probably a terrible way to do it. It should be pretty uniform across the board, in my opinion. You don't see guys on tour, oh, it's a major, let's change every, you know, the entire way we act out there. They're either how, you know, they're how they are every other event of the year. Well, well Cole, I, I want you to get on this because, I mean, you play in many tours, but also playing a lot on the PGA Tour. How's the vibe One mini tour, one <laughs> mini tour. And that was for fun during a pandemic. Don't, don't knock the jickies. <laughs> but like, I mean, to Drew's point, like, like when you play golf now, you talk a lot, you enjoy yourself, and it kind of maybe brings really good results. For the PGA Tour compared to web.com, in terms of the vibe, in terms of guys talking, like in terms of that, what's the difference? Or, you know, what, what did you see? Well, I think it all depends on the pairing. I mean, if you get paired with a couple of guys that like to talk, you, you know, you talk it up. I mean, I would say there's there's a lot of guys out there, and I was probably one of them, that I'm different off the golf course than I am on the golf course. Um, I mean, you look at, I think that's one thing that Max Homa is starting to realize as of as of late. Like, off the golf course, he's the fun, joking around guy. When we play at Whisperock, he's the same way. And then when he gets on the PGA Tour, he was, he's been really hard on himself. And you don't see the smile. You don't see him talking. And lately he started to realize that. And if you saw coming up 18 at Riviera, <clears throat> he was, he was smiling, laughing, talking, and he's starting to realize like he can be the same person on the golf course and be successful as he is off the golf course. Uh, but for me, it was all about the pairing. I mean, I was a guy that could be kind of hard on myself, but at the same time, if I had a good pairing, I'd muck it up and joke it around. But I just knew for me personally, like I was kind of always the underdog guy. I mean, I hit it short, you know, I didn't have the, the power. So I kind of had to play with the chip on my shoulder. I felt like, and, kind of be like, I want to go out there and bury everyone and um, I'm going to take care of business and then we can joke around afterwards. You guys have recently interviewed Harrington and Elkington, kind of some players from the previous generation. But when you think about like Trevino, right? He was such a talker and some found that annoying. But to think about that now, that was a way he just kind of released energy and kind of healthy distraction. Like, I don't know, it's it's interesting. Plus you know, the, the modern game, it's just, everyone's gotten a lot more serious. And I think yeah. we can from the past generation you know yeah i mean i think i think everything out there has changed you know i i've i've been fortunate enough to spend quite a bit of time with lee trevino and i mean he'll tell you i mean it used to be you know after the round it was just a thing everybody met at the bar had a couple of beers and now it's, it's not like that everything is so independent now on the pga tour everybody's got their team 
in their pod. And that's, that's who they hang around with. There's very few guys you see going to dinner together and, and stuff like that. I mean, you got the guys that play practice rounds together, but for the most part, you got your, you got your caddy, you got your teacher, you got your physio guy, you got your mental guy, and you kind of just hang around with them. Um, so that's kind of one thing that I think is a little unfortunate, but Lee Chirino, I think is kind of an outlier in this. I mean, you, you look at guys like Rocco mediate, who's kind of the same way. He's a talker, you know, he was walking off the Monday playoff against Tiger Woods at Torrey Pines, just chirping him away. Laughing. <laughs> that's just how he is. And I think that's a little bit of, Hey, I'm nervous right now. So I'm going to just do everything I can to calm myself down. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's interesting guys. Cause we had Brett McCabe on the show, uh, PJ tour sports psychologist. I'm sure you guys know him. And uh, he talked a lot about how a lot of people make the mistake where everyone thinks that you need to default to this like calm state. And he said, that doesn't work for everyone. Not everybody plays their best trying to be calm. Billy Horschel, one of his players, likes to get fired up sometimes, right? Other guys are more casual, like to joke around. So I think this is a good lesson for everyone about learning their tendencies, right? So I'm curious, what were some of your other tendencies that maybe looking back, you didn't realize um, back when you played? I'll, I'll start off here and mine I think is a pretty common one in golf like that was the thing for me like you know I was a talker things like that you can't change your DNA so I feel like I was almost trying to change my DNA when I was going into some of these more serious events and then when I did like that was my that was a tendency of mine it was like okay dude this is a real event now like this doesn't this ain't the jickies anymore Let, let's tighten up and let's play and that ended up backfiring on me and then along those same lines when I did start to feel some nerves and still start to be like, all right, this is important. I tried to embrace that as much as anything. So I was like, dude, this is what you want. Every player that you see on TV, everyone that's done anything in the game of golf has had to hit big shots when their nerves were, you know, at full tilt, when they were, when, when they, when they couldn't feel their hands, they had to hold a big putt, had to hit a big shot. So like, you should embrace this because this means today matters, you know? And that's cool because playing a lot of mini tour events, like, and other things, there weren't a lot of days that mattered. I was going out there. I was like, all right, if I shoot 66 or 73, it's a difference of $400. You know what I mean? Like who gives a shit? Like it really didn't get you going, but I tended to speed up a whole lot. I had a lot of caddies over my career, but like, all right, as soon as you start going and you start getting nervous, like you're walking ahead of me, you're the first one to the ball, you're pacing everything off, like just slowing down. And you see uh, like Tiger Woods and his, his pad, he used to talk about how he'd do everything slower. He'd walk to the range slower, his swing slow, you know, everything that he did would just slow down. Cause your first tendency was to speed up and I was I was that exact same way I was like oh wow now I finally have something that matters here that's got my juices going and I would just start going a little too fast so just like slowing it down in those situations for me was something I had to really like keep tabs on yeah I mean I think that's a common thing for everybody is to speed up when they're nervous or the adrenaline's going I mean if you talk to like Ricky Fowler and Joe Scovran his longtime caddy I mean they have a rule you know when things are they're in contention and things the juices are really flowing like Ricky can never pass Joe walking to the ball I mean, mm -hmm. that's just one little thing to help him just to make him slow down. I mean, I was, yeah, I think I'm the same as everybody. You just get quick, you get talking faster, you get just moving faster, making decisions faster, um, everything. And I, I think that's very normal. And it's just something I think the greats realize. And like, like Drew said, like Tiger made himself slow down because even Tiger Woods, who was better than everybody when he was in his prime by a long ways, would still get nervous and get adrenaline and you have to address it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having adrenaline. I mean, you notice everybody walks in there on the, Every, every guy that has experience on the 16th tee at the Waste Management Phoenix Open knows the adrenaline's coming, and it's yeah. just whether or not you can adapt to it. And very rarely do you see a PGA Tour player that's a veteran out there hit it over the 16th green because they know how to calm themselves down or they just know to take less club. It's right. kind of the same thing at 17 at Sawgrass, which is the most 
daunting tee shot there is when it matters. I mean, on Tuesday, you might not see a guy hit it in the water on 17 at Sawgrass, but you come through there Thursday and especially Sunday when the juices are flowing and you know, there's hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line, uh, people puke. And it's just, I mean, we've had Tim Clark on our, on our gravy in the silly series XM show. And I mean, he talked about the year he won, he got over to 17 and he almost fell over when he tried to tee the ball up because the nerves were that high. He, he's like, I have no idea how I'm going to hit this shot. <clears throat> and it's just, it's, it's part of the game and whoever deals with it the best is normally the most successful, but for, to think that the, the best in the world don't get nervous. I think the people out there are crazy. For sure. Well, Drew, I love what you said when you, you said you can't feel your hands in the moment. My coach as a kid used to say, well, when it gets tough out there, you got to be able to feel your hands. And sometimes you just got to let instincts take over and just, you know, kind of feel or will that, you know, eight iron, you know, onto the green so you can give yourself a chance. I mean, so for when you guys, for you guys, like, I'll start with Drew, when you were playing your best golf, right, and you had those pressure moments, do you think it was you had to draw on what you were thinking about or really not what you were thinking about? Like, what was Drew like out there? Yeah, when I got super nervous, like like you said, everything got faster, right? Your transition at the top of the golf swing gets faster. Your decision-making gets faster. I was already a pretty quick player. I was not one to, like, sit around and, and you know, take talk over a golf shot for a minute before I started to pull the trigger. So I even sped up even more, and I had to, like, really keep tabs on that. But I tr- – I, this is kind of a catch 22, but like, I tried to not overthink things when I got nervous, right? Like you get, it's easy to second guess yourself and start being like, I don't know if it's a nine, maybe it's a little bit of an eight, you know, or like, Oh, the wind's a little tougher than I thought, or, you know, what line should I take and things like that. I tried to keep it more instinctual and keep it the exact same way you've been do- making decisions the entire time you've been playing. But at the same time, you know uh, like don't, don't overthink things, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so you want to keep things moving, you know, that it matters, but you don't want to, you don't want to rush things, but I just tried to keep it business as usual. I didn't, I didn't, all right, this shot's really important. I need to take a lot more time here. You know what I mean? I'm like, I've never done that before in my life. You see guys in, in basketball, if they have a game, you know, two free throws to win the game, are they going to take all the full 10 seconds if they normally take four? No, like, I don't think that does anything more for you. I think the longer the time you take, the more thoughts can get in your head and it's harder to calm your brain down. So you, you, it's a, you, you don't want to go too fast and rush things, but you also, I don't think, want to dwell on everything and start questioning what you've been doing the entire time that got you into this situation where you are now where the nerves are firing yeah i mean colt so often club selection when when you're when you're in the moment you're playing good you start questioning oh maybe maybe i need to lay back here or that's a that's a an element that needs to be controlled too and to drew's point you know what to hit you know this golf course just keep going yeah i mean i think i mean obviously coming down the stretch sunday's Pins are different. Pins are more difficult. You really, I think this is where a, a good caddy really comes into play. Uh, you know, really helping you kind of simplify things like, look, you got 161, man. It's an eight iron all day. Like, I don't know why you're bouncing back and forth between seven and eight. Like, this is, this is a no brainer here. You just got to trust yourself and hit it. Um, but at the end of the day, that's all they can do is try to just convince you that what you're doing is right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I think golf is why golf is so different than everything else is, you know, basketball, football, baseball, tennis, everything's so reactionary. Whereas golf, I mean, you're walking in, you're, you're adding up a number, you know, you're, you're assessing the situation and everything goes so slow. Whereas, you know, everything else, I mean, they throw Charles Barkley, the ball in the post, he turns around and shoots it. I mean, you try to get reactionary in golf. I think that's the best way to do it. It's just really, really hard because there's so much leading in to preparing for the shot. 
Yeah, it's ironic, right, guys, where the, the times when the shots matter the most, we hold on more. We're trying to guide it more. We're trying to avoid a bad shot more when, ironically, the best way to have a good shot is to swing free and fluid. And so usually more times than not, when you're trying to prevent a shot from happening, that's when they happen. So I'd, I'd love to hear your guys' take on that and also like what your biggest fear shot is back when you played and even today. Like what, what's the worst shot that you don't want to have in a round? I mean, for me, I, I don't think I ever like was scared of any shot, but I just take it back to like, if you watch tour players coming down the stretch on Friday who are trying to make the cut, you know, there's the guy that has to birdie 18 and he probably makes the two or three best swings he he's made all week. And then there's the guy that can make par or bogey and still make the cut and it's full panic, hold on. And you see some of the worst shots you've ever seen mm. because you know, it's okay. I can make bogey and I can still play the weekend. So you're just trying not to mess up where it's when, Hey, I got to make birdie to stick around this weekend. You step up, you, you man up and you just make a free swing and you hit one of the best shots you ever hit. It's just, it's crazy how that mind works. Like if I told you, I mean, if you didn't know where the cut line was coming down 18, but you might, you didn't know you were on it. You would just step up and, and hit a shot. But if I knew you had knew you had one shot or two shots to play with, that's why Q school is always so fun. You know, watching on that Monday coming down, knowing guys, okay, they can make par and get their PGA tour card or they can make bogey and you watch just all hell break loose. It's uh the mind is, it's just, a, it's a scary thing. Because when you have to do something, it tends to work. But when you just can't do one thing, it, it, it tends to backfire on you. Hmm. Yeah, in one situation, you're, you're, you're trying to do the best you can. You got to make birdie to make the cut. There's one thing. It's either birdie or go home. And another one, like, you're, you're playing to not mess up as opposed to playing to play great. Like, you see it in football, right? A team gets a lead. Defense may be playing great all game, and then all of a sudden they got a lead in the fourth quarter. They go, what, they go in the prevent defense, and what happens? The team starts moving the ball. It's like they're trying to prevent big plays when all game they've been preventing big plays, but they haven't been in a prevent defense, you know what I mean? And to Colt's point earlier with, like, the reactionary stuff, I think that's a great point because golf is so unique in that aspect. But if you look at other sports, what do they do in the rare situations where it's not reactionary? Teams call timeouts to try to freeze a kicker. Freeze a free throw shooter. They want this guy to have to sit there and think about what he's about to do. And that our pitcher, you know, it takes a while in a big game for them to get the ball. They stand on the mound. That's what the teams try to do to, to make it more difficult for the other team. But in golf, that's every single shot. You know, you hit one and you got to walk up the fairway. You might have 10 minutes in between shots. It's tough. So uh, that's what makes it so difficult. But in terms of a trouble shot for me, I used to always dread <laughs> – Maybe, maybe like a lot of guys, maybe not. I used to really dread the double cross. So like, say it's a mm. right pin and a right to left wind. I used to hate that because I, I, in theory, I wanted to aim a little bit left or maybe add it and play a little fade that holds the wind. But that, that became later on in my uh, playing days, a little tougher shot for me to hit where I was actually drawing the ball with the irons. Um, and I would always still try to hit that fade that I used to hit for so long, but more often than not, it would result in like a a straight pull or a pull draw or something like that. And so I used to hate that hard right to left wind with a right flag. Cause I was like, there's really no way I'm going to probably get this close unless I start out right of the pin, take on whatever danger is over there and let the ball blow back. I used to, I, I hated those for a while. That, that makes me think drew uh, how often when you guys were playing, did you have to just, did you struggle with going with, with what you had that day? Cause that's something I think that, a lot of amateurs struggle with versus pros where you've heard tiger talking about how he'd get to the range and he's in a hook stance hook lie and he's hitting cuts somehow 
right? And he decided, okay, I'm playing a cut today. Whereas I literally just did it last weekend in at Aviara in San Diego. I played it for the first time, didn't know where I should land it. I was uncomfortable the whole round. And I was trying to find a shot that I was hitting the week before all round versus thinking about what do I have today, right? What's your guys' experience with that? Is that Do you see that's a big difference between amateurs and pros? It always actually made me more nervous when I had a perfect warm-up. Um, when I was absolutely striving it because you don't know how to handle it when the, f- the first thing goes bad on the golf course. Mm-hmm. I very rarely played well when I went out and just striped it on the range. I'm like, oh my God, this is great. This feels easy. Because then you get on the golf course, things get going quicker, adrenaline and all this, and you start hitting a few bad ones. You're like, oh God, what the hell just happened? <clears throat> so I was always a big fan of having just kind of an average warm-up because then it kind of caught my attention. And I'd go to the first team and be like, okay, I got to really, really bear down here instead of, oh, this is going to be an easy day. I'm striping it. So whenever I would warm up, even even poorly like it really really made me kind of narrow my focus a lot and really pay attention maybe even play a little bit more conservative starting out to try to just ease my way into the round mm-hmm. but um yeah i mean at the end of the day i mean this is one thing I, i've always been told i mean listen the driving range is a warm-up i mean it, it's it does has no it does not mean how does not show you how you're going to play that day there's zero that has zero effect on it so that's just like we used to play a tournament in college called the Northeast Amateur up in Rhode Island, one of the biggest damn tournaments there is. And you could drive 20 minutes down the road and hit balls, or you could hit balls in the net in the basement. And I loved that. I'd go hit 10 balls into the net in the basement, no clue where it's going, step up and you just rip it. And you're like, Oh, okay, this is what I got today. It's going to be a draw. It's going to be a fade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's I, I feel like it took the words out of my mouth there. It's interesting how those range sessions, like to Colt's point, some days you have an incredible range session. You go out there expecting to light the world on fire and then it didn't work out. And then I can remember range session was like, Oh my God, dude, like I, this is, this is devastating. Like, I don't know that I can get, I, I just want to keep it somewhere near par, hopefully and get the hell out of here. But I think it's all about you're in, in your brain, like expectations when you lower that bar, right? You've heard like, beware of the injured golfer, beware of the sick golfer, things like that. When you go out there and you're hitting it terrible on the range and you tee it, tee it up on the first look, like, all right, dude, like we're going to have to fight today. Like, it's not going to look pretty. Let's just try to get it around. And sometimes that just alleviates your expectations. You know what I mean? So that when you do, like Cole said, when you do hit a bad shot, you're not like, oh my God, what's happening? You're like, well, yeah, that's exactly the way I hit it on the range. This is what I was expecting when you go out there on the range and absolutely flush it and you get out there and you make bogey on the first hole, you're like, Oh my God, man, like how would I make bogey? I'm hitting it. I was hitting it perfect 10 minutes ago and things like that. So it's really interesting the way expectations can play into a round of golf. Cause I've had some really, really good rounds where I either uh, I hit it terrible on the range or maybe bogeyed the first hole. And I was like, okay, dude, I got to tighten up right now or this thing's going to get out of control quickly. And uh, it's just, it's so strange the way that the mind works. It's interesting hearing you guys talk about the warm-up. Um, like, so, Cole, I was, I mean, I was playing in the Western Junior my junior year of high school, and I had a caddy that was from the club. And if I told this story, um, I was getting a little too attached to my warm-up, where the ball was going. I was missing 10-footers, foot, 10 15-footers. And he's like, hey, put missing putts on the green before we go out and play. I want to see you just hit two-and-a-half-footers, mm-hmm. 10 in a row, just knock them in. And just hear the bottom of the cup and it's like anybody can make a two-footer but he was like you shouldn't be missing putts or have expectations in your warm-up and that really stuck with me so I stopped kind of hitting those mid-range or those eight footers those 12 footers and just doing kind of lag putts and just little baby putts of just in the hole in the hole and that was that was important for me so I guess for other for people listening or higher handicappers like what should be the takeaways from a warm-up right yeah. 
what's important oh. or how to do it, you know? I think mine was a lot of like other tour players. I mean, on the range, you always hit the, my last shot on the range was the club I was going to hit off whatever tee I was going off of, whether it be one or 10. Driver right. threw it, wanted to see one good one of those. Then I go to the putting green and, you know, I hit a few putts just on speed. And then I was the same way. I wanted to make three three footers before I went to the, to the first tee. I just wanted to see three go in. I want to bend down, pick the ball up out of the hole, and then I go. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. you always ended on a positive note. I'm never going to horse you a three-footer and then pick it up and go to the tee. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, here we go. This is going to be great today. Yeah. I, was, you know, I, always, I always ended it on positive. Yeah, you don't see many guys last shot on the range, grab the driver, hit a quick duck hook, and they're like, perfect. Here we go. Off to the first. You know, you always yeah. want something good to happen. But I always felt like the range for me was more just, like, like you said, Tiger might be setting up with a draw stance and all this stuff, and the ball might still be fading. I want to see what I got that day. Am I drawing it? Am I fading it? Because it can change day to day. I'm sure – you typically have a, a predominant ball flight that you play, but things change every single day. And if all if you're a drawer and one day you get out there and you're hitting it straight or the ball's falling a little bit right, like I was always, I always tried to not try to mess with that. Like, well, if that's what it is, then that's what it is. You know what I mean? I didn't want to go out there and try to fix my golf swing on the third hole or things like that. That's what the range is for. So you figure it out beforehand. And by the time you get out there, like, okay, maybe this is a little bit different than I typically like to see the ball moving, but it's what I got today. And I was, I was, uh, I was always trying to not play golf swing on the golf course, if that makes yeah. sense. Like I, I, that's what I do before a round. That's what I do after a round. Once I'm out there, it's about getting the ball in the hole. And I don't care if it's a, if I'm playing a 10 yard draw one day and a 10 yard fade the next day, I just want to try to get it in the hole. But I, I think you see a lot of guys and maybe even more so on the Jicky Jack and mini tour level, because they think they need to be perfect and all this stuff that if they do something different, they're trying to fix it mid round. And more often than not, that'll backfire. That's one thing that uh, Chris Nagel told us, Serm, is he said a big difference between when he played Shinnecock, you know, longtime mini tour guy, a guy's an incredible player, um, qualified for the U.S. Open. He said the biggest difference between mini tours and PJ tours, everyone on the mini tours are messing with their swing the whole round, which is so interesting. And one thing, Colt, you made me think of is a story that Matt Kuchar told Scott Langley. We had Langley on the show a couple of years ago, and Langley told, or Kuchar told Langley, that he starts every round trying to hit the middle of the fairway in the middle of the green. I know, obviously, it sounds easy. Yeah, hit the middle of the fairway. But it's more about hitting the middle of the green to understand in the moment, not what he's hitting on the range, but in tournament play, what's he got that day? And then based on where his misses were on the first four holes, that's when he started to get aggressive playing towards what he had that day, which I think is kind of a nice freeing way to start and ease into a round. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never, I've never heard that. Obviously, I think a lot of guys start off a little bit conservative, but it'd be hard for me to hit one down the middle and say I have 145 yards, which is a perfect nine iron, and not go right at the pin. Like, right. That's yeah. why I, that one's kind of hard for me to like put through my brain a little bit. If you just stripe one down the middle and you got a perfect number, how can you tell yourself, okay, I'm just going to play 30 feet right of it? I mean, if now all depends on the situation. I mean, sure. right. that's where like the statisticians these days that these guys use have come into play, and it is a game changer. Um, I mean, it has helped so many guys because I would say 90% of professionals, whether it be Jicky Jacks, Corn Ferry, or PGA Tour, play more aggressive than they should when you break down the numbers. I mean, you look at Tiger Woods, who is arguably the most conservative golfer of all time. I was just going to say that. Yeah, and I mean, and he's the most dominant golfer of all time. Hmm. It's crazy. I mean, I sat down with um, with the guy they call Hortsey, who's one of the statisticians out there, on a plane ride home from the players to Byron Nelson, and he looked up my stats, and he's He's like, basically, he goes, you birdie one out of every three greens you hit. You should never even honestly look at the flag unless you have eight iron or less. <laughs> I'm just like, 
that's interesting. He goes, your stats are a lot like Brant Snedeker's. He goes, and he works with Brant. He goes, we don't look at a, a, we don't look at a pit unless we have 160 or less into a green just because of how good you putt it. So just give yourself as many chances as you can. Why risk going at a pin when you have a five iron in when you can hit it in the middle of the green 30 feet? He goes, how many 30 footers do you think you can make if I give you 10 chances? I'm like, uh, three. He goes, okay, well, you're three under with eight holes to play. And you got, you know, that's not even counting the four par fives where I'm going to lay up and have wedges. He goes, you just got to, it's just, it's amazing when they break this stuff down and you look at it and you're like, wow, this is way simpler than I, than I make it. Yeah. And, and I think it's tough for a lot of guys on, like on tour when you get to a certain level, because they are, you are so good, right? You, there's no shot. You feel like you can't hit. So maybe they do have 192 to a back left pin. And they're like, yeah, dude, I'm hitting it great today. Why am I not going to go right at that thing? You know what I mean? And then you can miss left short side, make bogey or things like that. That's one of the big difference. I think that, that I've noticed between like a min a good mini tour player, guys like that, where you watch them on the range and you're like, Oh my God, like this guy belongs. You know what I mean? Like this guy could, could win. Like physically everything is there, but then you get out on the golf course and see them play. And there'd be a few decisions around where you're like, what are you doing? Why did you take on that flag? Why did you try to hit driver, squeeze that in there or things like that? And then it, it sets them backwards. And, and that's the difference. I think uh, the big difference in the, like there's such a bottleneck in trying to get on the PGA tour there's a lot of guys I think that are physically gifted enough and there's not very many spots, but the ones that make their way out there and do get those spots are ones that are not necessarily better golfers from a physical standpoint, but just make the right play one or two times per round that another guy doesn't. And then you add that up at the end of four, four rounds and that could be six, seven shots. You know what I mean? One guy's yeah. getting his ass kicked versus the other guy, but really they're more or less pretty comparable talent wise. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, just in growing up from what I would see from the mini tours is you, you kind of don't have an option except to go at the pin either because you got to shoot something crazy. Whereas the PGA Tour, you get punished. I mean, Drew and I play some golf with a kid. His name's Trevor Murphy that's played on the Corn Ferry Tour for many years. Doesn't really play anymore, but it's got more, way more talent than I do. There's no doubt about that. But he is the dumbest person I've ever seen on the golf course. I mean, he, he tries to hit driver in 10-yard gaps when he can hit three-wood sandwich into a 40-yard wide gap. And I'm like, I just always ask him, like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm trying to get lob wedge in my hand. I'm like, you hit lob wedge that much closer than you hit gap wedge? He's like, well, no. And I'm like, well, wh why would you even bring this into play? Like, I would love to caddy for him one day, and he has to listen to everything I say. He wouldn't be on the Corn Ferry Tour. He'd be on the big show. Uh, like, you guys need to get Trevor Murphy on here. First question, why are you such a fucking idiot? Because <laughs> he is so talented. He's so good. To. But that, Cole, that's a great point. And I've had this conversation with a lot of guys. When, when you're a, a corn fairy guy, a fringe guy, you having to go to a lot of Monday qualifiers and things like that. It is so different than when, like that last year I'll take, for instance, where I was playing a lot of the corn fairy Mondays. If I got a start, I wasn't finding out till really late in the game. And more often than not, I had to Monday qualify in. You get this mindset where it's like, you got to birdie every hole because these Mondays are just a joke. Like 66, go home. 65 is the playoff. And then you get an easier course, 64, you know, oh, you got a four for one or something like that. You get in this mindset where you think you have to birdie every single hole. And if you make a bogey, like the tournament's over. Cause I mean, really, if you go out and bogey one on a Monday qualifier, like, dude, that's tough sled. You're going to need an Eagle or you're going to need to just get weird hot for the rest of the round. And sometimes it's hard when you do actually do get a start in a tournament to turn that off and be like, okay, dude, I got some time now. I don't have to birdie. If I are a par five, it's not the end of the world and the tournament's over. It's sometimes hard to, to turn that off because in Monday qualifiers, if you're, you know, even par through six and you step up on seven and it's a 210 yard par three uh, with a pin back, right? Like you kind of need to go at it because you know, like six under is going to be maybe, you know what I mean? So you can't take holes off and be like, Oh, I'm going to just try to make par here. If you're sitting at level par or minus one, you got to go at those. And sometimes 
going from that to playing in tournaments, it's weird to change that mindset and be like, all right, I don't need to take on every single risk out here to try to shoot a 64 because I don't need a 64 on a Thursday. Let's play our way into this tournament. For sure. It's a different I mindset. To, I wanted to, you guys are talking about managing kind of your games, your iron play, especially at the tour level, going for pins versus not going for pins and what you see. But what about for the 12 or the 15 handicapper, right? Oftentimes, I, you see guys who could really drive it well, but oftentimes miss it long, miss it left a lot, and double just comes into play. When missing it short really, you know, eliminates doubles. What do you, what do you guys think about, about that? Because I think shots are really saved. Well, I'm Matt, I'll tell you, I don't know what 12 to 15 handicaps you're playing with, but I don't see any of them miss long. Uh, I see every single one of them miss short because they, they hit their eight iron 150 one time, and they think it goes that far every time. Uh, well, I mean, if you're, I mean, guys that you know who shoot in the mid '80s can hit, can hit the ball solid, you know, or just very or very aggressive when they're in the middle of the fairway. Yeah, I was going to say the biggest thing I noticed from the mid to high handicap is they they never take enough club. They they're terrible with club selection. Um, I mean, they just like I said, they think they they've seen a ball go so far one time, they think that goes that far all the time. I laugh playing in pro ams. They'll have 150. I'm like, what do you hit 150? And they're like, eight iron. I'm like, all right, hit six then. Because first off, you're probably not going to hit it that solid. I mean, if you're a 15 handicap, you're not going to. Those are those are probably older guys, though. I'm talking yeah. about the 25, 26 guys that can actually like, you know, just from that perspective. But I see what you're saying, like. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, that's my experience with with the higher right. handicappers. Um, as far as I mean, yeah, it's just for for me personally, I, the one thing I always prided myself on was I, I managed my game as good as anybody. I was never going to, you know give away anything to somebody and that's why I think I was so good in match play is I just never made the mistakes that other guys made I was if you beat me you beat me but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna just give it to you that was my that was my whole deal um but, but yeah I just it's to me it's not that hard to manage your game you know what you're good at you know you kind of know what you got um you, you know where if you've played the golf course before you know where you can miss it you know where you can't so to me it shouldn't be that hard but I I get it like guys always want to hit that perfect shot but sometimes that perfect shot's not required yeah, and I think if we're talking about high handicappers here, I think the thing I see, let's say a, guy's a, a guy that shoots 85, and I'll play with him, right? By the end of the round, typically, uh, I'll look back on his round, and be like, there was five shots in there that you could just erase, that, like, you know, are so stupid and so avoidable that you could be shooting 80 or thereabouts, you know what I mean? If you just were a little bit smarter. I see it a lot. Like, if you, if you we play out here in the desert. If you had a drive in the desert, cool. There's nothing you're going to do about that. Everybody hits it in the desert. It's just one of those things. But I'll see it a lot where guys will – uh, you know, hit it down the fairway, miss a green. And then if it's a short-sighted pin, they'll try to hit the flop shot or, or some, they'll pull out a 60 and duff it, uh, you know, or chip it up the hill and it comes back to their feet. I'm like, when they, I, I try to tell some of these guys, like when you miss a green, your next shot has to be on the green, chip the ball onto the green and never do worse than two putt. Maybe occasionally you'll chip it close and you'll make a putt and you'll get up and down, but I never want to see you not putting for par on these holes. Cause you're good enough to always have a par putt. And then from there, just two putt or they'll chip it 12 feet by and really want to make a par. And then they roll it four and a half feet by and miss coming back. It's like, those are just wasted shots. Those are just things you don't need to do. Like, I know you want to be perfect and you know, you want to chip it close and hit the little spinner that stops right by the hole and tap it in like these guys, but like, know what you're good at and know what you're not take a putter from off the green, put it up onto the green, give yourself 12 feet. And now you got a chance to make par, but no matter what you're making bogey at worst, if you, if, if those 15 handicappers who are normally good enough to, to get the ball around a golf course, try to make bogey your worst score. And like I said, right. I know you're going to hit some out of play sometimes, and that's going to happen. But if you're not taking a penalty stroke, never take worse. If you get in a bunker, get it out. 
don't try it. You know, it's short side. Let me try to hit this little sock one. Get the ball on the green, two putt, walk to the next hole. Because you're going to make enough pars. Just don't make the sixes, the sevens, and mm -hmm. things like that. So I just feel like there's so many wasted shots trying to hit, trying to be perfect or do something that they can't do when they just need to take, the, take their medicine and go. I'll give you a great example. Yesterday, I played golf with Larry Fitzgerald, who's like a 6'5 index. So, you know, eight handicapish can, can play. Hits a lot of good shots. Yeah. He's one under par through eight holes. All pars in a birdie, just striping it. Gets to nine, kind of hits one bad, bad, dunk, dunk, makes double. No big deal. Turns and one over. Good for him, all this. Goes, pars 10, 11, 12, everything's all good. Then hits it right in the crap on 13. He's like, this is it. He's like, it's just one or two bad swings around. I'm like, you're almost expecting it to happen. Like, you know, there's going to be day, like he just, he's waiting on it to happen. He knows it's going to happen. And he goes, this is why my handicap never gets lower. It's just one or two bad swings around. I'm like, dude, well, if you would stop waiting on that one bad swing to come instead of just, and instead just focus on hitting the good ones, like those will probably go away. He shot 79 yesterday with a double and a triple. And, in, and the double and the triple were just horrendous mistakes. Like, just yeah, terrible right. decisions, but like he just waits on that bad swing to happen, and I don't understand yeah. that. If you're hitting it good, you should be as confident as can be. Just let it keep going. Yeah. Well, that's the that's another big difference to your point, Cole. There's a lot of people, uh, or wait are trying to hold on versus going lower, totally. right? Like why? There's nothing else. I forget who said this on our show, Matt. Um, it might have been. I think it was sports. Another sports psychologist. They said there's nothing else when than golf, then when you're at your best, you're feeling your worst, <laughs> right? Like you're holding on, you're trying to avoid something bad happening versus like embracing that I'm playing my best. Let's like go get four more, right? Yeah, and I think that's a, a gift and a mentality that not everybody has. And I, I think there's a lot of guys on the PGA Tour that, that don't have that. I mean, I bring up a guy that's not a huge name, Tom Hoagie. He, he is, he's got this gambling personality in his life. He goes to the casinos, he fires. He's full bore. It's either go big or go home. And the man just can go low. He gets it to eight under. He wants to get it to nine. And there's some guys I totally agree with what you're saying. You know, you're, you're seven under through 12 and you're like, okay, let's just get this thing to the house. 65 is a good number. When in hindsight, you should be like, I'm seven under through 12. I'm not missing a shot. Let's go birdie four of the last six and shoot 11. Yeah. Um, it's just, I don't think some guys have that mentality, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, 100% agree with that. And I, uh, there's another name I'll throw out there on tour right now that I've seen it a bunch with, and that's Joel Damon. Uh, he used to play the mini tours down here. Jake, you've played tons of golf together. And he was the type of guy that like, like, like if he got, if he was five under through five, like some people start like, oh my God, you know, let's just hold on, maybe make one or two more and get this thing done. Joel was like, I'm going to try to shoot 18 under, you know? And there's guys that just keep their foot down, keep the pedal down and always want to go. And there's guys that tend to just gravitate towards like, let's not mess this up type of mentality. And uh, I think it's something that like, that's the, that's one, I guess, if you want to say positive about playing on the mini tours or Monday qualifiers is like 68, seven ain't going to get shit for you. You know what I mean? That gets you a trunk slam in a Monday qualifier that gets you four sixty-eights, gets you a T 15 maybe in the golf tournament. So you have to, if you want to win any money and keep playing golf, you know, you have to learn to shoot those 64, 63, six, because it typically takes one of those out of three or four rounds to get the job done because the scores are so low. So that was one thing that was kind of good about playing on, on those in the, in the mini tours or the Monday qualifiers is you had to, you had to learn to go low and not be afraid of being six under because well, six Drew, under wasn't good enough. Well, Drew, it's a separator too, because my brother played the mini tours for a few years. And if you weren't four under after five guys would kind of, or, or three under, at least three under freak oh, out yeah. a little bit. And 
you can't freak out because then you start, you're never going to have a chance, but controlling your emotions in those first five, six holes, you know, at a pretty simple golf course was you've watched guys either just shake or not, you know, yeah, I, I knew a college coach that used to like one or once or twice a semester would take his boys out and they'd play the red tees on one of their courses they'd qualify with like, all right, still golf, it's going to be a lot easier. But like, you go shoot four under you're and you're going to be in last, you know what I mean? Like right. you, so you had to learn to shoot eight under nine under and things like that and, and be comfortable sitting there at seven under and not being like, oh, my God, get this round over. I just want to get it in the house. And I think I think there's something to that. Like if you're playing Karsten Creek every day at Oklahoma State, you're probably not going to get seven, eight under very often, right? And right. maybe the first time you do it in a tournament, it might feel weird. So there's something to just being comfortable playing really, really well and not freaking out and uh, kind of, you know, putting it in neutral. You guys were kind of talking about it with the conservative play, right? Hitting to the middle of the green. One thing that I think amateurs don't do, myself included, a lot of times is you know, the news came out about the range finders. We had a caddy from the European tour on last week. We had talked to him about it. He said, really doesn't make a big difference because the pin yardage isn't really necessarily the most important. It's about where is it to the front? Where is it to the back? And a lot of times we shoot the pin to your point, Colt. Okay. 150. All right. Eight iron, whatever it is. And we hit. When a lot of times when I've played my best, I've noticed that if I know that it's 130 to the front and the pins in the front and it's 150 in the middle, I'm probably not going to try and hit the 135 pin, right? I'm going to go maybe 140, 150. I know basically I'm looking at where is the biggest part of the green I can hit. Well, that's what you should do. Yeah. yeah. I don't think a lot of people do. I mean, you can use that example. Say you've got, Let's just say nine iron goes 140, okay? You got, and wedge goes 130. You got 135 hole, but you got 130 to cover. So a lot of guys that you see them make the mistakes at home, they try to hit the hard wedge and try to get just a couple more out of it. But in my mind, I'm like, what is the difference if I'm, if I'm five yards past the hole or five yards short of the hole? It's 15 feet either way. Your odds of making it are the exact same. I mean, it might be a tougher putt here or there, but five yards either way is fine. So if I've got 20 behind a pin, and I'm in between clubs, you got to take the longer one. There's no doubt instead of four, unless there's obviously a certain situation, but you see so many guys try to force it. And like you, you lay up to a wedge yardage and say, you know, one wedge goes 95 and you got 92. It's like, listen, it's okay just to hit it normal and be right. nine feet behind it. You don't have to like try to feather it in there. You don't have to hit it to a foot. You can make a nine footer, hit the shot, hit the smart shot that gives you the best chance. It's the first time we're doing this. We're actually going to do a little uh, rapid fire in honor of you guys. I know you guys do a little rapid fire on your show. We're going to do a little YouTube exclusive. Okay. So make sure to check mm. out our YouTube channel for this. Oh, yeah. All right, boys. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, any yeah. final words you want to leave people with uh, on the mental game? Obviously guys, if you're not currently following them, follow golf subpar um, and and subscribe to the golf subpar podcast. You guys are one of my favorite podcasts out there. I'm always tuning in. So thanks for joining. Thank but anything yeah, you guys really want to leave people with Cole, drop some wisdom, but positive <laughs> vibes, believe in yourself. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, that's a fortune cookie. Uh, don't be afraid to be great. Don't be afraid of greatness. That's better. Have a transfusion along the way. Right? And maybe I have a couple pops while you do it. There's no rule against there we that. Go. All right, guys. Thanks, well, guys. thanks for joining. Um, Best of luck. Guys, go shoot some low numbers out there. Enjoy the ride. That's what we're all about. Love that. Appreciate you guys having us on. All right. Take care, guys. Bye.